What is your life? You say, why is that the most important question in the Bible? Why isn't why, how do I get saved the most important question? Because you don't ask the second one until you ask this one. Until you acknowledge you're lost, you're not looking for any answers on how to get saved. You've got to ask what your life is before you ever move from where you are. What is your life? Where are you at? And Philippians, I love this. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Mature, have what mind if we're mature? Well, first thing you do is forget the things that are behind if you're mature. And you reach forward to those things which are ahead if you're mature. And thirdly, you press toward the upward call. Now, that is really, really important to me and significant because, as I've stressed, for years, I believe the church has not fully understood what the gospel means. I really think we limited it. We allowed ourselves to be painted into a corner and outmaneuvered by the enemy when we started talking about a gospel of salvation. And yet in Scripture, there's no reference to a gospel of salvation. It's always the gospel of the kingdom, which includes the gospel of the good news of how to get saved. But by limiting it strictly to salvation, then what happened is the world is more concerned right now about What's going to happen to them tomorrow, Monday morning? Like, I got an email this past week and then a text message yesterday, and, and one of our members, is, uh, his job just came to an end. He tested for another company, and he's got an interview on Monday morning. Well, if the rapture doesn't play, take place between now and, uh, and Tuesday morning, Tuesday's when he has the interview, and nothing tragic were to happen to him, and God forbid that it should, it's... Everybody loves Trey, big old Trey, he and his wife and, and their children. And uh, he's, he's interviewing and aced the, the, the test, and he's got an interview that looks really favorable. Help me pray with him about that job. Amen. And anybody else that uh, is working, needing work right now. But I can tell you that if the rapture doesn't take place and Trey's living come Tuesday morning, most important thing he's facing right now is he needs that job or the job God wants him to have. So everybody else is out there is like that too. And if you've got a doctor's appointment on Monday morning because of some stuff that's been going on that's not good, and you've got some tests, that's really important to you. Your kid is facing, child is facing. I mean, we're concerned about life right now. Right now. Now, ultimately, <laughs> yeah, I want to go to heaven. Amen. But right now, I've got some stuff I, I need to get some answers for and so they've gone elsewhere for answers because they thought that the Bible and church was just about what happens when you die no it isn't it's the upward call of God in every area of your life from your family to your finances your relationships your ministry your health when you connect with God he pulls you upward and so I'm talking about what happens in people's lives in this world because some all of us need to be pulled upward, but some really need to be pulled upward. I mean, some of us get, get dealt some hands in life that are not very good at all. And I talked about that last week.
You've long suspicion that life is not fair. And I showed you from the Bible last week that it isn't. Whoever said it was? God never did. Life is not fair. Some get dealt a better hand than others. Others get dealt a terrible hand in life. Amen. Some raised in a nice neighborhood, great family, mom and dad together, loving each other, attend good schools. Others, nah, it didn't work out that way for them. So what do you do when life deals you a hand that is not good? What do you do when life's not fair? You get mad? Some do. Some really get angry. They get angry at God, get angry at everybody. Take it out on others? You wouldn't be the first one. A lot of people do that too. Wallow in self-pity? <laughs> Join the party. <laughs> Lots of people react that way. Or is it that we're supposed to make the most of a bad hand and by connecting to God through the upward call? of God's grace, turn a bad hand into a winning hand. Amen. Father, speak to us today, I pray. Let your word be anointed and help it to help us because this word is medicine to our souls. It is the elixir of life to our spirits. It is healing to our emotions, our relationships. Its principles guide us. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path when the way is dark. Speak today in Jesus' name. Last week, we began to look at the reasons why life doesn't deal us all the same hand. And I want to speak today from this subject, play it, or making the most of the hand life has dealt you, part two. Began a new series last week on playing it. You know, you got to build your dream. You got to see it. It's vision. Got to say it. That's your self-talk. You've got to pray it. That's God's part in it. You've got to pay it. That's the price you pay to get there. <laughs> You're not going to get in the Olympics. You know, if you're planning on winning an Olympic gold medal, it's not going to happen if you are on the Krispy Kreme diet. I can tell you that. Amen. Just not going to happen. You've got to pay the price, make some adjustments. But now I want to talk to you about play it, playing the hand life dealt you and winning with that hand. Okay? We began to look at the reasons last week that life doesn't deal us all the same hand. The first reason, as I pointed out, is the world and everything in it is broken. Give me a few minutes just to recap from last week. So if you weren't here, if you misplaced the notes, and I can make sense out of what I'm going to talk about today and not waste your time. The world and everything in it is broken. God didn't make it that way, but it's broken now. reason it's broken is because sin. And the garden, we didn't get to vote on that. It just happened. Just like you go through stuff right now that you didn't get to vote on. Somebody else voted, and you got to pay the price for it, right? You got tagged by somebody else's decision. Happens all the time. Somebody runs a red light. You didn't choose to get in that accident. They ran the red light, and you had to pay the price for them running the red light. You got hurt. The reason that the world and everything in it is broke is because man rebelled against God. And when I say everything in it, I mean your health, I mean your emotions, the weather, my emotions, our relationships, the economy, governments, people, everything is broke. Everything around us needs repair. And that's just a simple fact of life. No wonder with everything broke, your hand is different than mine. 
Second reason each person's hand in life is different is because each of us are uniquely made and that causes our lot in life to be unique and different from anyone else's. That's our biology, really, and we've talked about that. First thing that makes us unique is our biology, our height, our DNA, our genetics, our chromosomes, our race, our, the color of our hair, color of our eyes. I, no two people are alike. If we are unique as individuals, there's not another one like us on the face of the planet, then doesn't it stand to reason that your hand's probably going to be different than somebody else's? The cards you're playing are going to be dealt differently. Amen. Second thing that makes you unique, I'm giving you five reasons. I won't finish them today, but five things that make you unique, and that in turn determines that your hand is unique as well. Second thing, after your biology, is also your relationships. All of us have different relationships, and listen, every one of us are affected by our relationships differently. Every one of us. How many of you have more than one child in your home? You don't have to answer. If you have several kids in your home, has it amazed you the way it has me? That the same, a, a number of children can be raised by the same parents in the same house, eat the same food, go to the same school, watch the same TV programs, and all be so different it's not even funny. Amen. Everybody responds to life differently. You're made unique in that way. And your relationships will, your primary relationships, particularly those when you're younger, affect you for the rest of your life, even though you're now grown. And one of the things that happens is they mirror to us our self-worth or our value. The people that are around us when we were young are like a mirror that we look at and see if we have any value or not. And some of us came from broken backgrounds, I did, relationships that did not teach us how valuable we actually were. And even if you were raised in a very loving home, it, it, everybody has an emotional bank account, right? And how many of you know that not everybody out there in this world we live in that you come in contact with is complimentary, is kind, is nice? Anybody ever been treated unfairly? Amen? Anybody ever tell you all for no reason? Call you everything but what you thought you were? Oh, yeah, happens all the time. We live in a fallen world. And here's why this is important. Because though you are trying to love your child and you're putting emotional deposits into them to build them up, you don't know how many people are making withdrawals and calling them ugly, fat, stupid, whatever, saying unkind things. And I don't mean this in an unkind way, but it's a simple observation that children are too young to know the damage they can cause with words. And they can sometimes say things that are very hurtful. Very. How many of you remember right now somebody saying something that hurt you when you were young? Oh, every one of us do. And so you may be pouring into this child, but others are making withdrawals. And after a while, you can only make so many withdrawals until the emotional account is empty. And this is what is really really important is that your relationships not only determine how you see yourself 
but they determine what you think God thinks about you. Amen. Amen. They affect your relationship with God. This is why God is constantly trying to reaffirm to us and teach us how important and how valuable we all really are. And here's what we must understand. If you were raised in a circumstance where you do not feel that you had value shown to you or recognized in you, and you have grown up and struggled with that, you need to understand something right up front. Things can have value and no one have the skill or the insight that enables them to recognize that value. And if that value is not recognized, whose fault is it? Is it the object that is not being valued that is at fault? Or is it the party that is not recognizing the value that is really making the mistake? To demonstrate what I'm talking about, did you hear the other day about the guy, true story, not making this up, who bought at a flea market a box with some stuff in it and there were 65 old photographs in that box. They started out, I think they wanted $75 for the box and the guy talked them down to $45 and bought the box, bought the box with the photographs among other things and papers in it and he got the photographs and started looking at them and there was a quality about them. So he took them to an appraiser in Los Angeles and it turns out that those photographs are from the perhaps the most famous photographer who has ever lived, Ansel Adams. They were originals. And they are valued at $200 million. Somebody saw a box of junk. Somebody else saw treasure. Amen. But it never one time affected either way the value of what was in the box. What I'm saying is that if the value is both known or unknown, the value is still there. And this is what God wants you to understand. It's how you view it. Amen. And I got a joke for you. I love this one. Amen. Having dug to a depth of 10 feet, New York art, and I got to say it again, I'm a Cajun. If you're visiting with us, don't take offense if you're Cajun. I'm Cajun. That's why I tell these jokes, okay? Now, you and I won't let anybody else tell these kind of jokes because we're, you and I are Cajun, okay? Okay, but so the rest of you, hands off. We get to tell them you don't. In New York, archaeologists dug to a depth of 10 feet and found a copper cable dating back to the first years of the 20th century and concluded that their ancestors in New York were quite advanced and must have even had in place a phone system 100 years ago, and that cable proved it. Not to be outdone by the New Yorkers, archaeologists in Los Angeles dug to a depth of 20 feet and found the remnants of a copper cable. Dating back at least 200 years, it was reported in the L.A. Times that their ancestors were much more advanced than those in New York, because they had a telecommunication system in place at least 100 years before New York did. So, LSU archaeology dean Alphonse Boudreaux dug a hole 30 feet deep and found nothing. 
It was reported in the Baton Rouge Advocate that 300 years ago, the French and the Cajuns were so advanced, they had already gone wireless. Amen. <laughs> you got to like that one. Amen. It's all in how you look at it. Right? I also spoke last week about how these things our experiences, our relationships position us to look at ourselves, look at others, and I want to talk to you today also about how it makes you look at God. Let's revisit this subject. I'll spend my time today expounding on a few points I had to rush quickly through last week, but it's significant. In fact, I've had a number of people ask me to do that this week because it touched them where they were living. The first outlook is, I'm not okay, but you're okay. Or, I'm nobody, but you're everything. I'm nothing, but gee, you're tremendous. You're fantastic. That actually is the position or the attitude that many people have in life toward themselves and toward others. This is why, as I said last week, people engage in hero worship. And a person who does not know their own value craves acceptance. Every one of us do. But the person who has not yet discerned or come to understand their value is still looking for somebody to mirror it. And that makes them vulnerable to anyone who shows them that they matter, even if that person is just manipulating them. If you have ever been manipulated in life, what we always do is blame the manipulator. But what we ought to also do is look inside and see what the emotional deficit was so that we don't set ourselves up for that to happen again. Amen? And that's true whether you're an adult or a teenager. Whether you're a young, young lady that's being gamed by some guy out there that considers himself to, to be a player or if it's a young man or whatever. Let me, In fact, let me say a word to parents here right now. The best thing you can do to keep your child from getting into a series of relationships that can really destroy their lives is not to just watch the friends they keep and see who they're dating. You know what I'm talking about? And make sure that the person they're going, eventually going to go out with is a good person. But long before that, you need to have done some other things. Most parents believe their job is to be really certain that my kid doesn't connect, my child, my daughter, my son doesn't connect with somebody that can end up using them. But it really begins before then. You need to pump so much self-worth and love into that person that there is not a deficit that somebody else can come along and pretend to feel. Amen. Amen. The best prevention here or the best way to avoid it is through prevention. Amen. And one of the ways that you can tell if you're one of those, one of the hardest things in the world to do is self-diagnose or self-assess, analyze our own difficulties. The heart is deceitful, Jeremiah said. It is. It's deceitful. Your heart will tell you all kind of stuff. If you don't believe you're, you're, you can lie to yourself, oh, my goodness. You can lie to yourself and never even know you're lying to yourself. You, I'm serious. Amen. And one of the things that we have to do is, is that we have to realize that, that, that our self-perception here 
is one reason that things really matter. Because a self-perception, I've shared this with you in psychology, a self-perception of ugliness. And don't let the word psychology ever scare you. Somebody say, ah, he studied psychology. Well, maybe you need to. Amen. You say, ah, I don't believe in all that stuff. Well, you do. You practice it every day, whether you realize it or not. Amen. And psych means mind, ology is science of. You mean there's something wrong with studying the science of how we think? Not a thing in the world wrong with studying how we think. It helps us get along better. If I know what your areas of sensitivity are or your need is, and I, you know, not to manipulate you, all of us resent someone using, you know, they, they, they read a book on psychology and now they're experts and they want to manipulate our lives with what they read. That's not what I'm talking about. But in psychology, there is something called a self-perception of ugliness that begs ornamentation. What it means is if you think you're ugly, that you try to hide the ugliness by getting a lot of stuff around you that hides it, disguises it, and makes it look good, makes it look pretty. Things become important for that reason. And a person that is of this persuasion, I'm nobody, but you're everything, boy, I tell you what, things matter to that person because their self-esteem is so fragile. And somebody else you can laugh at, you don't laugh at this person. Uh-uh. This person's very sensitive about things like that. You walk into a room and two people are talking. They look up and they're looking at, at the door when you walk in. <laughs> oh, oh fee fi fo fum now. Because you know they're talking about you and they weren't. They were talking about the person just walked out. <laughs> They were talking about somebody. You got that right. <laughs> but it wasn't about you. Amen. The person, this person goes through life set, self-consciously setting themselves up to be hurt or disappointed. And they rag, regularly sabotage their own success in life. You know why? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And if I think I'm nobody and I get to becoming somebody... I'll sabotage what I've just done to become somebody so that I can be true to my self-perception of who I am. Amen. The real tragedy is that this person feels they need to earn God's love and favor, and it's hard for them to just accept God's free gift of grace. I'm ugly. I'm nobody. What do you mean God could love me? Oh, they want to articulate that in words, but they struggle with it in their heart every day. And you know something? It even affects church structure and beliefs and the way churches are run and the way some people pastor. And there are pastors out there, just like there are players that will play a woman or there's a girl that will manipulate a boy for certain things. I don't, I, forgive me, but I'm going to just lay it out there. There are guys that are doing that to their congregations too. You don't believe it? We had a guy in this church was married to a woman. They were coming here. She had come from a church that um, I guess they thought they were the only ones saved. When they found out that they were coming here and she had married this guy, they got on her case and told her, you've got to leave your husband. I don't care what kind of a document you've got. If that marriage wasn't performed in our church by our pastor, and the pastor said it himself, if I didn't perform the wedding, you are not married in the eyes of God. You're living in adultery. 
Amen. And do you know they made her leave her husband? And she needed acceptance so much that she went along with it. Because here's why people go to churches like that. You say, well, no, we, nobody would do that in today's world. Oh, yes, they do. Y'all remember Jim Jones years ago? Amen. Tell me how he can sit up there and say, y'all come drink this Kool-Aid. We're going to all die together. I'd say, you go ahead and drink it. I'm going back to America, Mr. Jones. See ya. I'm on the next flight out of here. I got to walk. I walk. I'm not drinking your Kool-Aid. How can people do stuff like that? She left because here's why. If your self-esteem is fragile and somebody sets a bar up here and says, you have value if you can get over this hurdle, and they will kill themselves trying to get over it. And then they feel pretty good about themselves. I'm one of the few. And do you know that she stayed out of her marriage and was going to get a divorce until she finally made him suck it up and he left and went to be with her. And now, so far as I know, he's sitting there on Sunday mornings under that kind of leadership. I won't tell you I'd run so fast. There's somebody else in this very service right now. They won't mind the reference because it's caused so much pain to them and their family. But he and his precious wife, wonderful people, love God. I performed their wedding. And do you know the pastor wouldn't even allow her family to come to the wedding because he wasn't the one doing the, the marriage and this guy was not, his marrying wasn't a member of their church. You run from stuff like that. That's manipulation. And what that is is somebody playing on people. And you know who their victims are? It's people that are already hurting. I'm nobody. And instead of them helping them find the upward call of God, they push them further down and say, yeah, you really are nobody. You do what I say and you'll be somebody. But, oh, I, I, don't, I hate that. Amen. This person then has the same problems in their relationship with God. They can't accept God's grace freely. The second type of outlook that a person who doesn't see themselves as having value might grow up embracing is that I'm okay and you're not okay. You know, that's the opposite. It's a flip. The first was, I'm not okay. I'm nothing. and You're great. Oh, I worship you. Let me just, let me just be near you and carry your, your books for you. Let me just uh, uh, go get you a glass of water. You're thirsty? Let me dust your shoes. Let me be your doormat. You wonder why some people are a doormat in a relationship? This is why. Amen. Don't ever do that because what happens is the longer you're in that, the more your self-respect is eroded away. Hear what I'm talking about. The second type of outlook that a person will embrace is the flip of that that says, I'm okay, but you're not okay. I'm everything and you're nothing. That's the extreme of that. I got it together. You don't. <laughs> when I study the Bible and, and when I go out to the golf course and, and when I, and I think and, and, and you know, and they use the perpendicular pronoun a lot. You know, it's all about themselves. 
And as I pointed out, this is actually very tricky because it's a defense mechanism that covers up something else. It manifests or presents as what appears to be arrogance and pride. Anybody know anyone here that's proud, prideful, really prideful, arrogant, difficult to Let me see. Anybody know? Boy, we got some great Houstonians. Only a few of you have met anybody. I probably should delete this part of the message. But back where I came from in Louisiana, we had folk that were proud and arrogant. Amen. And so, no, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Let me know. Leave that one alone. And it's actually a defense mechanism. And this person actually is so sensitive to their own woundedness that they seem to boast. The reason they do is they constantly have to build themselves up because they think you see through them. And they're hiding. They're hiding behind what they're saying about themselves so that you do not see the real person. Just like the first one hides behind their car, their things, their possessions. This one hides behind the image. Amen. And this person has a really hard time accepting personal responsibility if you call out or identify something in their life that they didn't handle correctly. Let me just ask you another question. Ever know anybody that could not say I'm sorry? Help me out. You ever know anybody? They'd rather die than say I'm sorry. They're going to just, well, I'm going to lie down right here and die. I can't say I'm sorry. You, you're going to have a, you, you know, the, God's going to strike you dead if you can't say, I, well, he can go ahead and strike me dead. Then y'all step back a few feet because I am not saying I'm sorry. What that means is their self-esteem is so fragile, they are in such a deficit situation in their emotional bank account of self-worth that they feel like if they say they're sorry, it takes, exposes them, takes everything away. And they can't say, I'm sorry. They view it as an attack if you try to help them and point out something they didn't handle it correctly. And you may be sitting there thinking, whoa, I was just trying to help you. And they're all mad because that you attack them because you see what they do and their identity are inseparable. Because they're hiding behind the image of their identity and what they do. So that's really important now. Amen. And so what is going on with this person further is that if you're married to somebody like this, you don't hear these words very often, I love you. Amen. You're the cherry in my milkshake is what you are. The whipped cream on top of my banana split. No, you're not going to hear stuff like that. Uh-uh. This person will say, I love you. I love you. Amen. One wife asked her husband, why don't you ever tell me you love me anymore? You used to tell me that until we got married. He said, it was 30 years ago. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Amen. <laughs> this person blame shifts like Adam. Blame shift means to take the blame and direct it to somebody else. So they'll blame somebody else. Blame you. Blame anybody. That's what Adam did. God came looking for him and Adam, where are you? And he said, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. Who told you you was naked? Well, <laughs> it's kind of like this. Well, why'd you eat of the fruit of the tree? 
It was that woman you gave me. Between you and that woman, y'all really messed up my life. I was doing pretty good till the two of you showed up. You know what they do? They accuse and excuse. Accuse others, excuse themselves. They can't handle personal responsibility. All God did in the garden was create one tree out of the quadrillion trees. Just don't eat of the fruit of the one tree. It was the minimum temptation, the least that God could require. And what did God and what did Adam and Eve do as soon as God said, Don't eat the one and walked away? They ran straight to that one tree. Amen. You say, well, why did God even give us a choice? If God really loved us, he wouldn't have given us a choice. Wait a minute. What people in the world want is they want God to give them the right to do whatever they want to do and at the same time not have any evil or hurt in the world. Anytime you have personal choice or decisions that are being made, there's always the capacity for somebody to get hurt. A child gets killed because somebody else made a decision to drive intoxicated and had a wreck and ran into a, somebody else's car. See what I'm saying? Somebody else made a decision, a leader of a country, to go to war for resources or ideology or whatever. Somebody else did. What happens? We send our sons and daughters. They get wounded or shot or killed or whatever. And who made the decision? Not us. Every one of us are affected by decisions. You say, well, take the decision-making component away. God can't because then it won't be love. Because it isn't love unless you say, I choose to value this more than I do this. I choose her but not her. I choose him but not him or them. You see, when you take the decision away, it's not love. It's robotic responses. And God wanted you to be able to choose to serve him because you love him. Amen. 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 And so it was Adam's bad choices. When a child gets cancer, that you didn't choose that. And I've known people say, I actually knew a man that stood outside when his baby died and shook his fist and said, God, I hate you and I'll go to hell hating you when his baby died. And he blamed God for that because his child died. But did God cause cancer to come into the world? No. Again, that was somebody else's decision. Adam and Eve made a decision that broke the world and introduced cancer and HIV and everything else that we deal with. Amen. And of course, what did Adam and Eve do? They accused and excused. Now what does that make happen? It hurts our relationships. Because you go to accusing one another and excusing your own behavior and that is that immediately brings up resentment on the part of the person that you're in relationship with. And you know what we all end up doing? We go look for fig leaves, defense mechanisms. What is a defense mechanism? It's a fig leaf. We cover our vulnerability. What do we do? We put distance between ourselves and others. We cover, and with good reason. Because trust me when I tell you, there are some out there, if they find your area of vulnerability, they're like a shark in the water. They will attack at the first hint of blood. Oh, yeah, they will. Even though they've got problems, and even that is a defense mechanism on their part. 
Adam covered up. So did Eve. That's what we all do as human beings. And in psychology, whenever you become, you know, react to another person's weakness, it's called a reaction formation. What is a reaction formation? Did you know that's in the Bible? He said, I've never seen those words. Go read Romans 2 and 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. A reaction formation is when you become loud and vociferous and angry and upset about somebody else's weakness that you've privately have been struggling with yourself. And what you're doing there is you kind of, sort of, you know, maybe kind of tried to get over it and you're struggling with it, but you kind of, sort of accept it in you, but you're really going to get over it someday. And so how do you live with yourself? You find somebody else that has that, and you, oh, you rail against that person because what you're now doing is you're pushing that problem away from you and letting everybody, including God, know you don't agree with that even though you're struggling with it. And it's called a reaction formation. And if you ever go to a church where some pastors, they only preach one thing, and it's always what they're against, I told you I'd rather be known for what I am for than what I'm against. That's what that guy's dealing with. I don't mean to, 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 to embarrass anybody. We crave intimacy, but instead of intimacy, we got fig leaves going on because we're afraid to let our guard down and let people see where we're vulnerable. What do we do? This person puts his self-worth in his job, his career, his ministry, and everything else. And, and the people who gravitate to this person are fr those from the first category, primarily. They're people who need to be told, you're nobody, but I'm everything. And that is why I refuse to lead that way in ministry. I'm not going to walk on people and make them be pressed further down into whatever problem they have. The first two groups both deal with bouts of depression, secretly, sometimes not so secretly. And here's what happens. If this guy that I'm talking about right now is a leader, this lady is a leader, you know who the members of the group they're leading is? It's people they're walking on, talk bad to, treat bad. Don't you allow yourself to be used like that? Come on, I need an amen out there. Amen. Don't allow somebody to, to walk on you. And the most serious problem this person has is they cannot accept the Father's love. They can't. They can't understand how the Father could possibly love them, and they struggle with it. Third outlook is, I'm not okay, but guess what? You're not either. Amen. Let's both go get a drink. Amen. You're worthless and so am I. This person is bitter, doesn't trust anybody. And frankly, just in case you know anybody like this, whether it's your boss, God forbid you're married to somebody like this, or amen, just want you to know that you'll never make this person happy no matter what. This person can change jobs, careers, families, churches where they live, change everything else and still be miserable on the inside. They will still betray you and they expect you to betray them. They fear your betrayal and they're looking for it and they're wondering which pocket you're carrying your knife in. And that's why they never let their guard down. Always looking at you, 
Amen. And they can be friendly, but they've always, you ever, you ever, people get you so close, but not real close. Just close enough that they can keep an eye on you so you don't hurt them. But they can change everything in their life and still be unhappy. You know why? Because it's the old saying, no matter where you are, there you are. Change your job and you're still there. Change families and guess who's still in that picture? You. Amen. And here's another problem. You always reap what you sow. And since this person goes around acting like they're better and that's the attitude they project and not quite trusting anybody, what happens is people pick up on that vibe and say, hmm, that's not all that friendly. Friendly, but there's, there's something going on underneath. And you know what they do? They take a step back. And then your feeling or your decision as to who they were now has become a self-fulfilling prophecy because you didn't think they would like you if they got real close. And so they backed away, thus confirming your original assessment. You're not very likable. This person doesn't have close friends. This person doesn't think that God loves them either. And they believe God is cold and stern. Amen. I'm not okay and neither are you. This is a rough place to be. And I close by dealing with the last one to set up what I'm going to teach on next. When I talk about the other factors that make you unique. The fourth outlook is I'm okay and so are you. Amen. This is a person who has a healthy self-image and they've come to understand that somebody else may think that's junk in that box, but they know their treasure. Amen. And you can call them junk all day long, but you're not going to get into their heart because they've already become convinced of who they are. The Bible says in Psalms 119, 165, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Amen. First person hides their sensitivity. They're easily wounded, but they just don't tell you. Okay. Second person out there, easily offended. I'm everything and you're nobody. Easily offended. Wear their feelings on their shoulder. Third person, they also wear their feelings on their shoulder. Fourth person, they don't have any feelings on their shoulders. Amen. They are satisfied and content. The first three always deal with some measure of depression, some measure of emptiness. And here's where I'm coming from. If that's you that I'm describing, it is a symptom of the brokenness of humanity that is the result of Adam's sin. And don't let anybody lie to you and tell you that if you get another family, another job, or, or another career, that that's going to change it. It won't. You'll keep on leaning your ladder against this wall over here and then that one, and you'll climb to the top, and every time you'll be disappointed. When what really needs to be addressed is how you feel about yourself on the inside. And you say, well, how am I supposed to feel? Here's a clue. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That here's another clue. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. God values you, whoever you are. Whatever mistakes you've made in life, God loves you. Oh, I'm preaching a message today that everybody needs to understand. Amen. And this person finds it easier to accept love. First person, the one, I'm not okay and you're everything. 
They say, I love you. Like, they just see you for the first time. I love you. I love you. Second person, I don't care. They're not going to say, I love you. The closest they're going to get is, I love you. And you're going to say, did he sneeze or clear his throat or something, you know? Third person, they're not saying I, and they're not even going that far. Amen. Fourth person can say easily and often, I love you. They don't mind sharing their feelings. You know why the first three have difficulty? The first one will say that he loves you because he's just, he needs to be attached to you that he can have greatness by being in your circle of greatness. The next two, they're not going to say I love you because if they put their feelings out there and you swat them down, their self-esteem is so fragile they can't stand having to live with the consequences of that rejection. It hurt them too bad. And somewhere behind all three of those that I've mentioned at the first is very deep woundedness that has not yet been resolved. But the fourth person may have also been wounded. But here's the, 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 what makes them different and their circumstance different. They have accepted God's assessment rather than man's assessment. Amen. They believe what the book said. That's why you need to be in this book. God loves you. Me? Yes, me. God loves you. Every one of us in this building are loved by God. You can't imagine how much God loves us. You can't imagine. I love this, this text in the Old Testament where it said he's written us on the palms of his hands. Have you ever wanted to write something down, didn't have a piece of paper, but you didn't want to forget it? So you wanted to see it soon. You wanted to remember it. You didn't want to let time get away, so you wrote it on the palm of your hand. God said, I've written you on the palms of my hands. Can't forget you. Amen. Every time I stick my hand out, there you are. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Y'all pardon me, but I feel something moving right now. Thank you, God, because you love me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God first loved us, first loved us. When we were unlovable, when we were in sin and rejected him, he loved us. Stand with me, if you would, please. And this person, which one of these four is in a better position to reach somebody that needs God? Well, the first person is not because, you know, the way things are going, you know, maybe my friends, the people I idolize, and, uh, you know, they're not... They're not into Christ a whole lot, and I don't want them to think less of me, so I'm going to be God's undercover agent, <laughs> his secret <laughs> citizen. Amen. I'm going to be in God's secret army. Second person, you're going to reach them by being arrogant? You're going to reach people by being arrogant or proudful? No, it drives people away. Third person, you're going to reach people by being, you know, I'm not okay and you're not either. No, no people... Just trust me when I tell you, people are not going to come running to you to, to be your friend. And you got to win them to you before you win them to God. And one reason God wants to heal you is for your personal happiness and fulfillment. It's the upward call, but also so you can share with the rest of a hurting world how much they matter to God. 
the person who understands I'm okay and so are you is a person that is a powerful evangelist a person that can reach those they'll have friends the first person will have friends that take advantage of him so will this the second person will have friends he can take advantage of third person <laughs> They don't have to worry about anybody taking advantage of them or them taking advantage of anybody else because they don't have any friends. Amen. <laughs> but the fourth person has lots of friends. 